BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Section 12 of The Storm by Daniel Defoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Of the damages on the water. As this might consist of several parts, I was inclined to have divided it into sections or chapters, relating particularly to the public loss and the private to the merchant or the navy, to floods by the tides, to the river damage, and that of the sea. But for brevity, I shall confine it to the following particulars. First, the damage to trade. Secondly, the damage to the Royal Navy. Thirdly, the damage by high tides. First, of the damage to trade. I might call it a damage to trade that this season was both for some time before and after the tempest so exceeding and so continually stormy that the seas were in a manner unnavigable and negoce at a kind of a general stop and when the storm was over and the weather began to be tolerable Almost all the shipping in England was more or less out of repair, for there was very little shipping in the nation, but what had received some damage or other. It is impossible, but a nation so full of shipping as this must be exceeding sufferers in such a general disaster, and whoever considers the violence of this storm by its other dreadful effects will rather wonder and be thankful that we receive no farther damage than we shall be able to give an account of by sea i have already observed what fleets were in the several ports of this nation and from whence they came as to ships lost of whom we have no other account than that they were never heard of. 
I am not able to give any particulars, other than that about three and forty sail of all sorts are reckoned to have perished in that manner. I mean of such ships as were at sea when the storm began, and had no shelter or port to make for their safety. Of these, some were of the Russian fleet, of whom we had an account of twenty sail lost the week before the storm, but most of them reached the ports of Newcastle, Humber, and Yarmouth, and some of the men suffered in the general distress afterwards. But to proceed to the most general disasters, by the same method as in the former articles of damages by land. Several persons, having given themselves the trouble to further this design with authentic particulars from the respective ports, I conceive we cannot give the world a clearer and more satisfactory relation than from their own words. The first account, and placed so, because tis very authentic and particular, and the furthest port westward, and therefore proper to begin our relation, is from on board Her Majesty's ship the Dolphin in Milford Haven, and sent to us by Captain Soanes, the commodore of a squadron of men of war, then in that harbour, to whom the public is very much obliged for the relation, and which we thought ourselves bound there to acknowledge. The account is as follows. Sir, reading the advertisement in the Gazette of your intending to print the many sad accidents in the late dreadful storm, induced me to let you know what this place felt, though a very good harbour. Her Majesty's ships, the Cumberland, Coventry, Lew, Hastings, and Hector, being under my command, with the Rye, a cruiser on this station, and under our convoy about a hundred and thirty merchant ships bound about land. The 26th of November, at one in the afternoon, the wind came at south by east a hard gale, between which and northwest by west it came to a dreadful storm. At three the next morning was the violentest of the weather, when the Cumberland broke her sheet anchor, the ship driving near this and the rye both narrowly escaped carrying away. She drove very near the rocks, having but one anchor left, but in a little time they slung a gun with the broken anchor fast to it, which they let go, and wonderfully preserved the ship from the shore. Guns firing from one ship or other all night for help, though twas impossible to assist each other, the sea was so high, and the darkness of the night such, that we could not see where any one was, but by the flashes of the guns. When daylight appeared, it was a dismal sight, 
to behold the ships driving up and down one foul of another without masts some sunk and others upon the rocks the wind blowing so hard with thunder lightning and rain that on the deck a man could not stand without holding some drove from dale where they were sheltered under the land and split in pieces the men all drowned two others drove out of a creek one on the shore so high up was saved the other on the rocks in another creek and bulged an irish ship that lay with a rock through her was lifted by the sea clear away to the other side of the creek on a safe place one ship forced ten miles up the river before she could be stopped and several strangely blown into holes and on banks a catch of pembroke was drove on the rocks the two men and a boy in her had no boat to save their lives but in this great distress a boat which broke from another ship drove by them without any in her the two men leap into her and were saved but the boy drowned a prize at pembroke was lifted on the bridge whereon is a mill which the water blew up but the vessel got off again another vessel carried almost into the gateway which leads to the bridge and is a road the tide flowing several foot above its common course the storm continued till the twenty-seventh about three in the afternoon that by computation nigh thirty merchant ships and vessels without masts are lost and what men are lost is not known three ships are missing that we suppose men and all lost none of her majesty's ships came to any harm but the cumberland breaking away her anchor in a storm which happened the eighteenth at night lost another which renders her incapable of proceeding with us till supplied i saw several trees and houses which are blown down your humble servant joseph soanes the next account we have from the reverend mr thomas chest minister of chepstow whose ingenious account being given in his own words gives the best acknowledgment for his forwarding and improving this design sir upon the evening of friday november twenty sixth seventeen o three the wind was very high but about midnight it broke out with a more than wanted violence and so continued till near break of day it ended a northwest wind though about three in the morning it was at southwest the loudest cracks i observed of it were somewhat before four of the clock we had here the common calamity of houses shattered and trees thrown down but the wind throwing the tide very strongly into the severn and so into the y on which chepstow is situated and the fresh in y 
meeting with a rampant tide, overflowed the lower part of our town. It came into several houses about four foot high, rather more. The greatest damage sustained in houses was by the makers of salt. Perhaps their loss might amount to near two hundred pounds. But the bridge was a strange sight. It stands partly in Monmouthshire, and partly in Gloucestershire, and is built mostly of wood, with a stone pier in the midst, the centre of which divides the two counties. There are also stone platforms in the bottom of the river to bear the wood work. I doubt not, but those stone platforms were covered then by the great fresh that came down the river, but over these there are wooden standards framed into piers forty-two foot high, besides ground sills, caps heads, sleepers, planks, and on each side of the bridge rails which may make about six foot more. The tide came over them all. The length of the wooden part of the bridge in Monmouthshire is sixty yards exactly, and thereabout in Gloucestershire. The Gloucestershire side suffered but little, but in Monmouthshire side the planks were most of them carried away. The sleepers, about a ton by measure each, were many of them carried away, and several removed, and tis not doubted but the great wooden piers would have gone too, but it was so that the outward sleepers on each side of the bridge were pinned or bolted to the cap-heads, and so kept them in their place. All the level land on the south part of Monmouthshire, called the Moors, was overflowed. It is a tract of land about twenty miles long, all level, save two little points of high land, or three. The breadth of it is not all of one size. The broadest part is about two miles and a half. This tide came five tides before the top of the spring according to the usual run, which surprised the people very much. Many of their cattle got to shore, and some died after they were landed. It is thought by a moderate computation they might lose in hay and cattle between three and four thousand pounds. I cannot hear of any person drowned save only one servant-man, that ventured in quest of his master's cattle. The people were carried off, some by boats, some other ways, the days following. The last that came off that I can hear of were on Tuesday evening. To be sure, they were uneasy and astonished in that interval. There are various reports about the height of this tide in the moors, comparing it with that in January, 1606. But the account that seems likeliest to me is that the former tide ran somewhat higher than this. Tis thought most of their land will be worth but little these two or three years, 
and tis known that the repairing the sea-walls will be very chargeable. Gloucestershire, too, that borders upon Severn, hath suffered deeply on the forest of Dean side, but nothing in comparison of the other shore, from about Harlingham down to the mouth of Bristol River, Avon, particularly from Ost Cliff to the river's mouth, about eight miles, all that flat called the marsh was drowned. They lost many sheep and cattle, about seventy seamen were drowned out of the Canterbury store-ship, and other ships that were stranded or wrecked, the Arundel man-of-war, Suffolk and Canterbury store-ships, a French prize, and a Dane, were driven ashore and damnified, but the Arundel and the Danish ship are got off, the rest remain on ground. The Richard and John, of about five hundred ton, newly come into King Road from Virginia, was staved. The Shoreham rode it out in King Road. But I suppose you may have a perfecter account of these things from Bristol. But one thing yet is to be remembered. One Nelms of that country, as I hear his name, was carried away with his wife and four children, and house, and all, and were all lost, save only one girl, who caught hold of a bough, and was preserved. There was another unfortunate accident yet in these parts. One Mr. Churchman, that keeps the ends at Bettisley, a passage over the Severn, and had a share in the passing boats, seeing a single man tossed in a wood-bus off in the river, prevailed with some belonging to the customs, to carry himself and one of his sons and two servants aboard the boat, which they did. And the officers desired Mr. Churchman to take out the man, and come ashore with them in their pinnace. But he, willing to save the boat as well as the man, tarried aboard, and some time after, hoisting sail, the boat overset, and they were all drowned, viz. the man in the boat, Mr. Churchman, his son, and two servants, and much lamented, especially Mr. Churchman and his son, who were persons very useful in their neighbourhood. This happened on Saturday about eleven of the clock. Your humble servant, Thomas Chest. Mr. Thomas Little, minister of Blank Church in Lynn, in the county of Norfolk, being requested to give in the particulars of what happened thereabouts, gave the following short but very pertinent account. Sir, I had answered yours sooner, but that I was willing to get the best information I could of the effect of the late dismal storm amongst us. I have advised with our merchants and shipmasters, and find that we have lost from this port seven ships, 
the damage whereof, at a modest computation, amounts to three thousand pounds. The men that perished in them are reckoned about twenty in number. There is another ship missing, though we are not without hopes that she is gone northward, the value of ship and cargo about fifteen hundred pounds. The damages sustained in the buildings of the town is computed at one thousand pounds at least. I am your faithful friend and servant, Thomas Little, Lynn, January 17th. 1703. We have had various accounts from Bristol, but as they all contain something of the same in general, only differently expressed, the following, as the most positively asserted and best expressed, is recorded for the public information. Sir, observing your desire, lately signified in the Gazette, to be further informed concerning the effects of the late dreadful tempest, in order to make a collection thereof. I have presumed to present you with the following particulars concerning Bristol, and the parts near adjacent, being an eyewitness of the same, or the majority of it. On Saturday, the 27th of November last, between the hours of one and two in the morning, arose a most prodigious storm of wind, which continued with very little intermission for the space of six hours, in which time it very much shattered the buildings, both public and private, by uncovering the houses, throwing down the chimneys, breaking the glass windows, overthrowing the pinnacles and battlements of the churches, and blowing off the leads, the churches in particular felt the fury of the storm. St. Stephen's Tower had three pinnacles blown off, which beat down the greatest part of the church. The cathedral is likewise very much defaced, two of its windows and several battlements being blown away. And indeed most churches in the city felt its force more or less. It also blew down abundance of great trees in the marsh, College Green, St. James Churchyard, and other places in the city. And in the country it blew down in scattered abundance of hay and corn mows, besides almost leveling many orchards and groves of stout trees. But the greatest damage done to the city was the violent overflowing of the tide, occasioned by the force of the wind, which flowed an extraordinary height, and did abundance of damage to the merchants' cellars. It broke in with great fury over the marsh country, forcing down the banks or sea-walls, drowning abundance of sheep and other cattle, washing some houses clear away, and breaking down part of others, in which many persons lost their lives. It likewise drove most of the ships in King Road a considerable way upon the land, some being much shattered, and one large vessel broke all in pieces, and near all the men lost, besides several lost out of other vessels.
to conclude the damage sustained by the city alone in merchandise houses etc is computed to an hundred thousand pounds besides the great loss in the country of cattle corn etc which has utterly ruined many farmers whose substance consisted in their stock aforesaid so having given you the most material circumstances and fatal effects of this great tempest in these parts i conclude your unknown friend and servant daniel james from huntsville in somersetshire we have the following account from as we suppose the minister of the place though unknown to the collector of this work sir the parish of Huntsville hath received great damage by the late inundation of the salt water particularly the west part thereof suffered most for on the twenty-seventh day of november last about four of the clock in the morning a mighty south-west wind blew so strong as in a little time strangely tore our sea-walls insomuch that a considerable part of the said walls were laid smooth after which the sea coming in with great violence drove in five vessels belonging to bridgewater quay of the channel upon a wharf in our parish which lay some distance off from the channel and there they were all grounded it is said that the seamen there fathomed the depth and found it about nine foot which is taken notice to be four foot above our walls wind standing the salt water soon overflowed all the west end of the parish forcing many of the inhabitants from their dwellings and to shift for their lives the water threw down several houses and in one an ancient woman was drowned being about fourscore years old some families sheltered themselves in the church and there stayed till the waters were abated three window leaves of the tower were blown down and the rough cast scaled off in many places much of the lead of the church was damnified the windows of the church and chancel much broken and the chancel a great part of it untiled the parsonage house barn and walls received great damage as also did some of the neighbors in their houses at the west end of the parsonage stood a very large elm which was four yards a quarter and half a quarter in the circumference it was broken off near the ground by the wind without forcing any one of the moors above the surface but remained as they were before the inhabitants many of them have received great losses in their sheep and their other cattle in their corn and hay there is great spoil made this is what information i can give of the damage this parish hath sustained by the late dreadful tempest i am sir your humble servant sam woodison
Huntsbull, January 6th, 1703-1704. From Minehead in Somersetshire and Swansea in Wales, the following accounts are to be depended upon. Sir, I received yours, and in answer to it, these are to acquaint you that all the ships in our harbour, except two, which were twenty-three or twenty-four in number, besides fishing boats, were, through the violence of the storm and the mooring posts giving way, drove from their anchors. One of them was staved to pieces, nine drove ashore, but is hoped will be all got off again, though some of them are very much damnified. Several of the fishing boats, likewise with their nets, and other necessaries, were destroyed. Three seamen were drowned in the storm, and one man was squeezed to death last Wednesday by one of the ships that was forced ashore, suddenly coming upon him as they were digging round her, endeavouring to get her off. Our pier also was somewhat damaged, and tis thought if the storm had continued till another tide, it would have been quite washed away, even level to the ground, which, if so, would infallibly have ruined our harbour. Our church likewise was almost all untiled. The neighbouring churches also received much damage. The houses of our town and all the country round about were most of them damaged. Some, as I am credibly informed, blown down, and several in a great measure uncovered. Trees also of a very great bigness were broken off in the middle, and vast numbers blown down. One gentleman, as he told me himself, having twenty-five hundred trees blown down, I wish you good success in these your undertakings, and I pray God that this late great calamity, which was sent upon us as a punishment for our sins, may be a warning to the whole nation in general, and engage every one of us to a hearty and sincere repentance. Otherwise, I'm afraid we must expect greater evils than this was to fall upon us. From your unknown friend and servant, Frist Chave, Swansea, January 24th, 1703-1704. Sir, I received yours and accordingly have made an inquiry in our neighbourhood what damage might be done in the late storm. Through mercy we escaped indifferently, but you will find, underwritten, as much as I can learn to be certainly true. The storm began here about twelve at night, but the most violent part of it was about four the next morning, about which time the greatest part of the houses in the town were uncovered, more or less and one house clearly blown down. The damage sustained to the houses is modestly computed at two hundred pounds. The south aisle of the church was wholly uncovered, 
and considerable damage done to the other isles, and four large stones, weighing about one hundred and fifty or two hundred pound each, was blown down from the end of the church. Three of the four iron spears that stood with veins on the corners of the tower were broke short off in the middle, and the veins not to be found and the tail of the weather-cock which stood in the middle of the tower was blown off and found in a court near four hundred yards distance from the tower in klein wood belonging to the duke of beaufort near this town there is about a hundred large trees blown down as also in a wood on our river belonging to mr thomas mansell of Britain ferry about eighty large oaks the tides did not much damage but two ships were blown off our bar and by providence one came aground on the salt house point near our harbour else the ship and men had perished the other came on shore but was saved i hear further that there are several stacks of corn overturned by the violence of the wind in the parishes of Rosalie and Largeny and Gower. Most of the thatched houses in this neighbourhood was uncovered. Sir, this you may rely on to be true. Yours, etc. William Jones From Grimsby in Lincolnshire the following account is taken for favourable. Sir, the late dreadful tempest did not, blessed be God, much affect us on shore. So far was it from having any events more than common that the usual marks of ordinary storms are not to be met with in these parts upon the land. I wish I could give as good an account of the ships then at anchor in our road. The whole fleet consisted of about an hundred sail, fifty whereof were wanting after the storm. The wrecks of four are to be seen in the road at low water, their men all lost. Three more were sunk near the spurn, all the men but one saved six or seven were driven ashore and got off again with little or no damage a small hoy not having a man on board was taken at sea by a merchant ship what became of the rest we are yet to learn this is all the account i am able to give of the effects of the late storm which was so favourable to us I am, sir, your most humble servant, Thomas Fairweather. End of section 12section 13 of The Storm by Daniel Defoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. From Newport and Hastings 
the following accounts are chiefly mentioned to confirm what we have from other inland parts and particularly in the letter printed in the philosophical transactions concerning the salt being found on the grass and trees at great distance from the sea of which there are very authentic relations sir i received yours and do hereby give you the best account of what happened by the late storm in our island we have had several trees blown down and many houses in our town and all parts of the island partly uncovered but blessed be god not one person perished that i know or have heard of nor one ship or vessel stranded on our shores in that dreadful storm but only one vessel laden with ten which was driven from her anchors in cornwall but was not stranded here till the tuesday after having spent her mainmast and all her sails on sunday night last we had several ships and vessels stranded on the south and south-west parts of our island but reports are so various that i cannot tell you how many some say seven others eight twelve and some say fifteen one or two laden with cork and two or three with portugal wine oranges and lemons one with hides and butter one with sugar one with pork beef and oatmeal and one with slates monday night tuesday and wednesday came on the back of our island and some in at the needles the fleet that went out with the king of spain but it has been here such a dreadful storm and such dark weather till this afternoon that we can give no true account of them some say they have been at the wrecks this afternoon that there were several great ships coming in then there is one thing i had almost forgotten and i think is very remarkable that there was found on the hedges and twigs of trees knobs of salt congealed which must come from the south and southwest parts of our sea-coast and was seen and tasted at the distance of six and ten miles from those seas and this account i had myself from the mouths of several gentlemen of undeniable reputation yours thomas reed hastings in sussex january twenty fifth seventeen o three sir you desire to know what effect the late dreadful storm of wind had upon this town in answer to your desire take the following account this town consists of at least six hundred houses besides two great churches some public buildings and many shops standing upon the beach near the sea and yet by the special blessing and providence of god the whole town suffered not above thirty or forty pounds damage in their houses churches public building and shops and neither man woman or child suffered the least hurt by the said terrible storm the town stands upon the seashore but god be thanked 
the sea did us no damage and the tides were not so great as we have seen upon far less storms the wind was exceeding boisterous which might drive the froth and sea moisture six or seven miles up the country for at that distances from the sea the leaves of the trees and bushes were as salt as if they had been dipped in the sea which can be imputed to nothing else but the violent winds carried the froth and moisture so far i believe it may be esteemed almost miraculous that our town escaped so well in the late terrible storm and therefore i have given you this account i am sir your friend stephen gawen the following melancholy account from the town of brighthamstone in sussex is sent us sir the late dreadful tempest in november the twenty seventh seventeen o three last had very terrible effects in this town it began here much about one of the clock in the morning the violence of the wind stripped a great many houses turned up the leads off the church overthrew two windmills and laid them flat on the ground the town in general upon the approach of daylight looking as if it had been bombarded several vessels belonging to this town were lost others stranded and driven ashore others forced over to holland and hamborough to the great impoverishment of the place derrick payne jr master of the elizabeth ketch of this town lost with all his company george taylor master of the ketch called the happy entrance lost and his company excepting walter street who swimming three days on a mast between the downs and north yarmouth was at last taken up richard webb master of the ketch called the richard and rose of brighthelmston lost and all his company near st helens edward friend master of the ketch called thomas and francis stranded near portsmouth edward glover master of the pink called richard and benjamin stranded near chichester lost one of his men and he and the rest of his company forced to hang in the shrouds several hours george beach jr master of the pink called mary driven over to hamborough from the downs having lost his anchor cables and sails robert kitchener master of the chomley pink of brighton lost near rosiant with nine men five men and a boy saved by another vessel this is all out of this town besides the loss of several other able seamen belonging to this place aboard of her majesty's ships transports and tenders from lymington and lime we have the following letters sir i have received your letter and have made inquiry concerning what disasters happened during the late storm what i can learn at present 
and that may be credited, are these, that a Guernsey privateer lost his foretop mast, and cut his main mast by the board, had twelve men washed overboard, and by the toss of another immediate sea, three of them was put on board again, and did very well. This was coming within the needles. That six stacks of chimneys were, by the violence of the wind, blown from a great house called New Park in the forest, some that stood directly to windward, were blown clear off the house without injuring the roof, or damaging the house, or any mischief to the inhabitants, and fell some yards from the house. Almost four thousand trees were torn up by the roots within Her Majesty's forest, called New Forest, some of them of very great bulk, others small, etc. A ship of about two hundred ton from Maryland, laden with tobacco called the Assistance, was cast away upon Hurst Beach. One of the mates and four sailors were lost. By the flowing of the sea over Hurst Beach, two salt turns were almost ruined, belonging to one Mr. Perkins. A new barn, nigh this town, was blown quite down. The town received not much damage, only some houses being stripped of the healing, windows broke, and a chimney or two blown down. Considerable damages amongst the farmers in the adjacent places, by overturning barns, outhouses, stacks of corn and hay, and also amongst poor families, and small houses, and likewise abundance of trees of all sorts, especially elms and apple trees, has been destroyed upon the several gentlemen's and other estates hereabouts. These are the most remarkable accidents that I can collect at present. If anything occur, it shall be sent you by your humble servant, James Baker. Lymington, February, 1704. A true and exact account of the damages done by the late great wind in the town of Lyme Regis, and parts adjacent in the county of Dorset, as followeth. Sir, Impre five boats drove out of the cob, and one vessel lost, broke loose all but one cable, and swung out of the cob, but was got in again with little damage, and had that hurricane happened here at high water, the cob must without doubt have been destroyed, and all the vessels in it been lost. Most of the houses had some damage, but a great many trees blown up by the roots in our neighborhood, and four miles to the eastward of this town. A Guernsey privateer of eight guns and forty-three men drove ashore, and but three men saved of the forty-three. The place where the said privateer run ashore is called Seatown, half a mile from Chittick, where most of their houses were uncovered, and one man killed as he lay in bed. This is the true account here, but all 
villages suffered extremely in houses trees both elm and apples without number sir i am your humble servant stephen bowditch from margat and the island of thanet in kent the following is an honest account sir the following account is what i can give you of what damage is done in this island in the late great storm in this town hardly a house escaped without damage and for the most part of them the tiles blown totally off from the roof and several chimneys blown down that broke through part of the houses to the ground and several families very narrowly escaped being killed in their beds being by providence just got up so that they escaped and none was killed the like damages being done in most little towns and villages upon this island as likewise barns stables and outhousing blown down to the ground in a great many farmhouses and villages within the island part of the leads of our church blown clear off and a great deal of damage to the church itself likewise a great deal of damage to the churches of st lawrence minster mountain and st nicola in this road was blown out one latchford of sandwich bound home from london with divers men and women passengers all totally lost and another little pink that is not heard of blown away at the same time but where it belonged is not known here rid out the storm the princess anne captain charles guy and the swan both hospital ships had no damage only captain guy was parted from one of his anchors and part of a cable which was weighed and carried after him to the river by one of our hookers all from yours to command p h from malden and essex and from southampton the following accounts sir by the late great storm our damages were considerable a spire of a steeple blown down several vessels in this harbour were much shattered particularly one corn vessel laden for london stranded and the corn lost to the value of about five hundred pounds and the persons narrowly escaped by a small boat that relieved them next day many houses ripped up and some blown down the churches shattered and the principal inn of this town thirty or forty pound damage in tiling at a gentleman's house one mr moses borton near us a stack of chimneys blown down fell through the roof upon a bed where his children was who were dragged out and they narrowly escaped but many other chimneys blown down here and much mischief done southampton february the seventh seventeen o three and seventeen o four sir yours i have received 
in which you desire me to give you an account of what remarkable damage the late violent storm hath done at this place in answer we had most of the ships in our river and those that laid off from our keys blown ashore some partly torn to wrecks and three or four blown so far on shore with the violence of the wind that the owners have been at the charges of unlading them and dig large channels for the spring tides to float them off and with much ado have got them off it being on a soft sand or mud had but little damage we had god be praised nobody drowned though some narrowly escaped as to our town it being most part old building we have suffered much few or no houses have escaped several stacks of chimneys blown down other houses most part untiled several people bruised but none killed abundance of trees round about us especially in the new forest blown down others with their limbs of a great bigness torn it being what we had the most material i rest sir your humble servant george powell we have abundance of strange accounts from other parts and particularly the following letter from the downs and though every circumstance in this letter is not literally true as to the number of ships or lives lost and the style coarse and sailor-like yet i have inserted this letter because it seems to describe the horror and consternation the poor sailors were in at that time and because this is written from one who was as near an eyewitness as any could possible be and be safe sir these lines i hope in god will find you in good health we are all left here in a dismal condition expecting every moment to be all drowned for here is a great storm and is very likely to continue we have here the rear admiral of the blue in the ship called the mary a third rate the very next ship to ours sunk with admiral beaumont and above five hundred men drowned the ship called northumberland a third rate about five hundred men all sunk and drowned the ship called the stirling castle a third rate all sunk and drowned above five hundred souls and the ship called the restoration a third rate all sunk and drowned these ships were all close by us which i saw these ships fired their guns all night and day long poor souls for help but the storm being so fierce and raging could have none to save them the ship called the shrewsbury that we are in broke two anchors and did run mighty fierce backwards within sixty or eighty yards of the sands and as god almighty would have it we flung our sheet anchor down which is the biggest 
and so stopped. Here we all prayed to God to forgive us our sins, and to save us, or else to receive us into his heavenly kingdom. If our sheet anchor had given way, we had been all drowned. But I humbly thank God it was his gracious mercy that saved us. There's one Captain Fanel's ship, three hospital ships, all split, some sunk, and most of the men drowned. There are above forty merchant ships cast away and sunk. To see Admiral Beaumont, that was next to us, and all the rest of his men, how they climbed up the main mast, hundreds at a time, crying out for help, and thinking to save their lives, and in the twinkling of an eye were drowned. I can give you no account but of these four men of war aforesaid, which I saw with my own eyes, and those hospital ships at present, by reason the storm hath drove us far distant from one another. Captain Crow of our ship believes we have lost several more ships of war, by reason we see so few. We lie here in great danger, and waiting for a north-easterly wind to bring us to Portsmouth. And it is our prayers to God for it, for we know not how soon the storm may arise and cut us all off, for it is a dismal place to anchor in. I have not had my clothes off nor a wink of sleep these four nights, and have got my death with cold, almost. Yours to command, Miles Norcliffe. I send this, having opportunity by our boats that went ashore to carry some poor men off that were almost dead, and were taken up swimming. The following letter is yet more particular and authentic, and, being better expressed, may further describe the terror of the night in this place. Sir, I understand you are a person concerned in making up a collection of some remarkable accidents that happened by the violence of the late dreadful storm. I here present you with one of the like. I presume you never heard before, nor hope may never hear again of a ship that was blown from her anchors out of Helford Haven to the Isle of Wight, in less than eight hours, viz. the ship lay in Helford Haven about two leagues and a half westward of Falmouth, being laden with ten, which was taken on board from Guag Wharf, about five or six miles up Helford River, the commander's name was Anthony Jenkins, who lives at Falmouth. About eight o'clock in the evening, before the storm begun, the said commander and mate came on board, and ordered the crew that he left on board, which was but one man and two boys, that if the wind should chance to blow hard, which he had some apprehension of, to carry out the small bower anchor, and more the ship by two anchors, and gave them some other orders. And his mate and he went ashore, and left the crew 
aforesaid on board. About nine o'clock the wind began to blow, and then they carried out the small bower as directed. It continued blowing harder and harder at west-northwest. At last the ship began to drive. Then they were forced to let go the best bower anchor which brought the ship up. The storm increasing more, they let go the kedge anchor, which was all they had to let go, so that the ship rid with four anchors ahead. Between eleven and twelve o'clock the wind came about west and by south, in a most terrible and violent manner, that notwithstanding a very high hill just to windward of the ship, and four anchors ahead, she was drove from all her anchors, and about twelve o'clock drove out of the harbour without anchor or cable, nor so much as a boat left in case they could put into any harbour. In dreadful condition, the ship drove out clear of the rocks to sea, where the man with the two boys consulted what to do, at last resolved to keep her far enough to sea for fear of dead man's head being a point of land between Falmouth and Plymouth, the latter of which places they designed to run her in, if possible, to save their lives. The next morning, in this frighted condition, they steered her clear of the land to the best of their skill, sometimes almost under water, and sometimes atop, with only the bonnet of her foresail out, and the foreyard almost lowered to the deck, but instead of getting into Plymouth next day, as intended, they were far enough off that port, for the next morning they saw land, which proved to be Peveril Point, a little to the westward of the island of White, so that they were in a worse consternation than before, the overrunning their designed port by seven o'clock they found themselves off the isle of wight where they consulted again what to do to save their lives one of the boys was for running her into the downs but that was objected against by reason they had no anchors nor boat and the storm blowing off shore in the downs they should be blown on the unfortunate Goodwin Sands, and lost. Now comes the sad consultation for their lives. There was one of the boys said, He had been in a certain creek in the Isle of Wight, where between the rocks he believed there was room enough to run the ship in and save their lives, and desired to have the helm from the man, and he would venture to steer the ship into the said place, which he according did, where there was only just room between rock and rock for the ship to come in, where she gave one blow or two against the rocks, and sunk immediately, but the man and two boys jumped ashore, and all the lading being ten was saved and for their conduct and risk they run. They were all very well gratified, and the merchants well satisfied.
Your friend and servant, R. P. May 28, 1704. And here I cannot omit that great notice has been taken of the townspeople of Deal, who are blamed, and I doubt not with too much reason, for their great barbarity in neglecting to save the lives of abundance of poor wretches, who having hung upon the masts and rigging of the ships, or floated upon the broken pieces of wrecks, had gotten ashore upon the Goodwin sands when the tide was out. It was, without doubt, a sad spectacle to behold the poor seamen walking to and fro upon the sands to view their postures and the signals they made for help, which, by the assistance of glasses, was easily seen from the shore. Here they had a few hours' reprieve, but had neither present refreshment nor any hopes of life, for they were sure to be all washed into another world at the reflux of the tide. Some boats are said to come very near them, in quest of booty, and in search of plunder, and to carry off what they could, but nobody concerned themselves for the lives of these miserable creatures. And yet I cannot but insert what I have received from very good hands in behalf of one person in that town, whose humanity deserves this remembrance, and I am glad of the opportunity of doing some justice, in this case, to a man of so much charity, in a town of so little. Mr. Thomas Powell of Deal, a slop-seller by trade, and at that time mayor of the town. The character of his person I need not dwell upon here, other than the ensuing accounts will describe. For when I have said he is a man of charity and courage, there is little I need to add to it to move the reader to value both his person and his memory, and though I am otherwise a perfect stranger to him, I am very well pleased to transmit to posterity the account of his behaviour as an example to all good Christians to imitate on the like occasions. He found himself moved with compassion at the distresses of the poor creatures, whom he saw as aforesaid in that miserable condition, upon the sands. And the first thing he did, he made application to the custom-house officers for the assistance of their boats and men, to save the lives of as many as they could come at. The custom-house men rudely refused, either to send their men, or to part with their boats. Provoked with the unnatural carriage of the custom-house officers, he calls the people about him, and finding some of the common people, began to be more than ordinarily affected with the distresses of their countrymen, and, as he thought a little inclined to venture, he made a general offer to all that would venture out, that he would pay them out of his own pocket five shillings per head for all the men whose lives they could save. Upon this proposal, several offered themselves to go, if 
he would furnish him with boats. Finding the main point clear, and that he had brought the men to be willing, he, with their assistance, took away the custom-house boats by force, and though he knew he could not justify it, and might be brought into trouble for it, and particularly if it were lost, might be obliged to pay for it, yet he resolved to venture that, rather than hazard the loss of his design, for the saving of so many poor men's lives, and having manned their boat with a crew of stout, honest fellows, he with them took away several other boats from other persons, who made use of them only to plunder and rob, not regarding the distresses of the poor men. Being thus provided, both with men and boats, he sent them off, and by this means brought on shore above two hundred men, whose lives a few minutes after most infallibly have been lost. Nor was this the end of his care, for when the tide came in, and t'was too late to go off again, for all that were left were swallowed up with the raging of the sea, his care was then to relieve the poor creatures who he had saved, and who almost dead with hunger and cold were naked and starving. And first he applied himself to the Queen's agent for sick and wounded seamen, but he would not relieve them with one penny, whereupon, at his own charge, he furnished them with meat, drink, and lodging. The next day several of them died, the extremities they had suffered having too much mastered their spirits, these he was forced to bury also at his own charge, the agent still refusing to disperse one penny. After their refreshment, the poor men assisted by the mayor made a fresh application to the agent for conduct money to help them up to London. But he answered, he had no order, and would disperse nothing, whereupon the mayor gave them all money in their pockets, and passes to Gravesend. I wish I could say, with the same freedom, that he received the thanks of the government, and reimbursement of his money as he deserved, but in this, I have been informed, he met with great obstructions and delays, though at last, after long attendance, upon a right application, I am informed he obtained the repayment of his money, and some small allowance for his time spent in soliciting for it. End of section 13section 14 of the storm by daniel defoe this librivox recording is in the public domain nor can the damage suffered in the river of thames be forgot it was a strange sight to see all the ships in the river blown away the pool was so clear 
that, as I remember, not above four ships were left between the upper part of Wapping and Radcliffe Cross, for the tide being up at the time when the storm blew with the greatest violence. No anchors or landfast, no cables or moorings would hold them. The chains which lay across the river for the mooring of ships all gave way. The ships breaking loose thus, it must be a strange sight to see the hurry and confusion of it, and, as some ships had no body at all on board, and a great many had none but a man or boy left on board just to look after the vessel, there was nothing to be done but to let every vessel drive whither and how she would. Those who know the reaches of the river, and how they lie, know well enough that the wind being at south-west-westerly, the vessels would naturally drive into the bight or bay from Radcliffe Cross to Limehouse Hole, for that the river winding about again from thence towards the new dock at Deptford runs almost due south-west, so that the wind blew down one reach and up another, and the ships must of necessity drive into the bottom of the angle between both. This was the case, and, as the place is not large, and the number of ships very great, the force of the wind had driven them so into one another, and laid them so upon one another, as it were, in heaps, that I think a man may safely defy all the world to do the like. The author of this collection had the curiosity the next day to view the place and to observe the posture they lay in, which, nevertheless, tis impossible to describe. There lay, by the best account he could take, few less than seven hundred sail of ships, some very great ones between Shadwell and Limehouse inclusive. The posture is not to be imagined, but by them that saw it. Some vessels lay heeling off with the bow of another ship over her waist, and the stem of another upon her forecastle. The boltsprits of some drove into the cabin windows of others. Some lay with their sterns tossed up so high that the tide flowed into their forecastles before they could come to rights. Some lay so leaning upon others that the undermost vessels would sink before the other could float. The numbers of masts, boltsprits, and yards split and broke, the staving, the heads, and sterns, and carved work, the tearing and destruction of rigging, and the squeezing of boats to pieces between the ships, is not to be reckoned. But there was hardly a vessel to be seen that had not suffered some damage or other in one or all of these articles. There was several vessels sunk in this hurry, but as they were generally light ships, the damage was chiefly to the vessels, but there were two ships sunk with great quantity of goods on board. The Russell galley was sunk at Limehouse, 
being a great part laden with bale goods for the straits, and the Sarah galley, lading for Leghorn, sunk at an anchor at the Blackwall, and though she was afterwards weighed and brought on shore, yet her back was broke, or so otherwise disabled, as she was never fit for the sea. There were several men drowned in these last two vessels, but we could never come to have the particular number. Near Gravesend, several ships drove on shore below Tilbury Fort, and among them five bound for the West Indies. But as the shore is oozy and soft, the vessels sat upright and easy, and here the high tides which followed and which were the ruin of so many in other places, were the deliverance of all these ships, whose lading and value was very great, for the tide rising to an unusual height floated them all off, and the damage was not so great as was expected. If it be expected, I should give an account of the loss and the particulars relating to small craft, as the sailors call it, in the river, it is to look for what is impossible, other than by generals. The watermen tell us of above five hundred wherries lost, most of which were not sunk only, but dashed to pieces one against another, or against the shores and ships where they lay. Shipboats without number were driven about in every corner, sunk and staved, and about three hundred of them is supposed to be lost. Above sixty barges and lighters were found driven foul of the bridge. Some printed accounts tell us of sixty more sunk or staved between the bridge and Hammersmith. Abundance of lighters and barges drove quite through the bridge, and took their fate below, whereof many were lost, so that we reckon by a modest account above a hundred lighters and barges lost and spoiled in the whole, not reckoning such as with small damage were recovered. In all this confusion it could not be but that many lives were lost, but as the Thames oftentimes buries those it drowns, there has been no account taken. Two watermen at Blackfriars were drowned, endeavouring to save their boat, and a boat was said to be overset near Fulham, and five people drowned. According to the best account I have seen, about twenty-two people were drowned in the river upon this sad occasion, which, considering all circumstances, is not a great many, and the damage to shipping, computed with the vast number of ships then in the river, the violence of the storm, and the height of the tide, confirms me in the truth of that opinion, which I have heard many skilful men own, viz., that the river of Thames is the best harbour of Europe. The height of the tide, as I have already observed, did no great damage in the river of Thames, and I find none of the levels or marshes 
which lie on both sides the river, overflowed with it, filled the cellars indeed at Gravesend, and on both sides in London, and the alehouse keepers suffered some loss as to their beer. But this damage is not worth mentioning with what our accounts give us from the Severn, which, besides the particular letters we have already quoted, the reader may observe in the following what our general intelligence furnishes us with. The damages in the city of Gloucester they compute at twelve thousand pounds, above fifteen thousand sheep drowned in the levels on the side of the Severn, and the sea walls will cost, as these accounts tell us, five thousand pounds to repair. All the country lies under water for twenty or thirty miles together on both sides, and the tide rose three foot higher than the tops of the banks. At Bristol, they tell us, the tide filled their cellars, spoiled one thousand hogsheads of sugar, fifteen hundred hogsheads of tobacco, and the damage they reckon at a hundred thousand pounds. Above eighty people drowned in the marshes and river, several whole families perishing together. The harbour at Plymouth, the castle at Pendennis, the cathedral at Gloucester, the great church at Berkeley, the church of St. Stephen's at Bristol, the churches at Blandford, at Bridgewater, at Cambridge, and generally the churches all over England have had a great share of the damage. In King Road at Bristol, the damage by sea is also very great. The Canterbury storeship was driven on shore, and twenty-five of her men drowned, as by our account of the navy will more particularly appear. The Richard and John, the George and the Grace sunk and the number of people lost is variously reported. These accounts in the four last paragraphs being abstracted from the public prints and what other persons collect. I desire the reader will observe are not particularly vouched, but as they are all true in substance, they are so far to be depended upon and if there is any mistake, it relates to the numbers and quantity only. From Yarmouth we expected terrible news, and everyone was impatient till they saw the accounts from thence, for as there was a very great fleet there, both of laden colliers, Russia men, and others, there was nothing to be expected but a dreadful destruction among them. But... It pleased God to order things there, that the loss was not in proportion like what it was in other places, not but that it was very great, too. The reserve man-of-war was come in but a day or two before, convoy to the great fleet from Russia, and the captain, surgeon, and clerk, who, after so long a voyage, went on shore with two boats to refresh themselves, and buy provisions, had the mortification to stand on shore, and see the ship sink before their faces. 
she foundered about eleven o'clock, and as the sea went too high for any help to go off from the shore to them, so their own boats being both on shore, there was not one man saved. One Russia ship driving from her anchors and running foul of a laden collier sunk by his side, but some of her men were saved by getting on board the collier. Three or four small vessels were driven out to sea and never heard of more. As for the colliers, though most of them were driven from their anchors, yet going away to sea, we have not an account of many lost. This next to the providence of God, I give this reason for. First, by all relations, it appears that the storm was not so violent farther northward as it was there, and as it was not so violent, so neither did it continue so long. Now, those ships who found they could not ride it out in Yarmouth roads, but slipping their cables went away to sea, possibly as they went away to the northward, found the weather more moderate, at least, not so violent, but it might be borne with. To this may be added, that tis well known to such as use the coast after they had run the length of Flamborough. They had the benefit of the weather shore, and pretty high land, which if they took shelter under, might help them very much. These, with other circumstances, made the damage much less than everybody expected. And yet, as it was, it was bad enough, as our letter from Hull gives an account. At Grimsby it was still worse, as to the ships, where almost all the vessels were blown out of the road, and a great many lost. At Plymouth they felt a full proportion of the storm and its utmost fury. The Eddystone has been mentioned already, but it was a double loss in that the lighthouse had not been long down when the Winchelsea, a homeward-bound Virginia man, was split upon the rock, where that building stood, and most of her men drowned. Three other merchant ships were cast away in Plymouth Road, and most of their men lost. The monk, man-of-war, rode it out but was obliged to cut all her masts by the board, as several men of war did in other places. At Portsmouth was a great fleet, as has been noted already. Several of the ships were blown quite out to sea, whereof some were never heard of more. The Newcastle was heard off upon the coast of Sussex, where she was lost with all their men but twenty-three. The Resolution, the Eagle Advice Boat, and the Litchfield Prize felt the same fate, only saved their men. From cows several ships were driven out to sea, whereof one run on shore in Stokes Bay, one full of soldiers, and two merchantmen have never been heard of. As I could ever learn, abundance of ships saved themselves by cutting down their masts, and others stranded 
but by the help of the ensuing tides, got off again. Portsmouth, Plymouth, Weymouth, and most of our seaport towns looked as if they had been bombarded, and the damage of them is not easily computed. Several ships from the Downs were driven over to the coast of Holland, and some saved themselves there, but several others were lost there. At Falmouth, eleven sail of ships were stranded on the shore, but most of them got off again. In Barstable Harbor, a merchant ship, outward bound, was overset, and the express advice boat very much shattered, and the quay of the town almost destroyed. Tis endless to attempt any farther description of losses. No place was free, either by land or by sea. Everything that was capable felt the fury of the storm, and tis hard to say whether was greater the loss by sea or by land. The multitude of brave, stout sailors is a melancholy subject, and, if there be any difference, gives the sad balance to the account of the damage by sea. We had an account of about eleven or twelve ships driven over for the coast of Holland, most of which were lost, but the men saved, so that by the best calculation I can make, we have lost not less than a hundred and fifty sail of vessels of all sorts by the storm. The number of men and other damages are calculated elsewhere. We have several branches of this story, which at first were too easily credited and put in print, but upon more strict examination, and by the discoveries of time, appeared otherwise, and therefore are not set down. It was in the design to have collected the several accounts of the fatal effects of the tempest abroad in foreign parts, but as our accounts came in from thence too imperfect to be depended upon, the collector of these papers could not be satisfied to offer them to the world, being willing to keep as much as possible to the terms of his preface. We are told there is an abstract to the same purpose with this in France, printed at Paris, and which contains a strange variety of accidents in that country. If a particular of this can be obtained, the author promises to put it into English, and adding to them the other accounts which the rest of the world can afford, together with some other additions of the English affairs, which could not be obtained in time, here shall make up the second part of this work. In the meantime, the reader may observe France felt the general shock. The piers and rice-bank at Dunkirk, the harbour at Havre de Grace, the towns of Calais and Boulogne, give us strange accounts. All the vessels in the road before Dunkirk, being twenty-three or twenty-seven, I am not certain, were dashed in pieces against the pier-heads, not one excepted, that side being a lee shore. The reason is plain. 
there was no going off to sea. And had it been so with us in the Downs or Yarmouth roads, it would have fared with us in the same manner. For had there been no going off to sea, three hundred sail in Yarmouth roads had inevitably perished. At Dieppe the like mischief happened, and in proportion Paris felt the effects of it as bad as London and as a gentleman who came from thence since that time, affirmed it to me was much worse. All the northeast countries felt it. In Holland, our accounts in general are very dismal. But the wind, not being northwest, as at former storms, the tide did not drown them, nor beat so directly upon their sea wall. It is not very irrational to judge that had this storm beat more to the northwest, it must have driven the sea upon them in such a manner that all their dikes and dams could not have sustained it, and what the consequence of such an inundation might have been, they can best judge, who remember the last terrible eruption of the sea there which drowned several thousand people, and cattle without number. But as our foreign accounts were not satisfactory enough to put into this collection, where we have promised to limit ourselves by just vouchers, we purposely refer it all to a farther description, as before. Several of our ships were driven over to those parts and some lost there. And the story of our great ships, which ridded out at or near the gunfleet, should have come in here, if the collector could have met with any person that was in any of the said vessels. But as the accounts he expected did not come in time for the impression, they were of necessity left out. The association, a second rate, on board whereof was Sir Stafford Fairborn, was one of these, and was blown from the mouth of the Thames to the coast of Norway, a particular whereof, as printed in the annals of the reign of Queen Anne's, is as follows. An account of Sir Stafford Fairborn's distress in the late storm. Sir, Her Majesty's ship association a second rate of ninety-six guns commanded by sir stafford fairborn vice-admiral of the red and under him captain richard canning sailed from the downs the twenty-fourth of november last in company with seven other capital ships under the command of the honourable sir cloudsley shovel admiral of the white in their return from Leghorn up the river. They anchored that night off of the Long Sand Head. The next day struck yards and topmasts. The 27th, about three in the morning, the wind at west-southwest increased to a hurricane, which drove the association from her anchors. The night was exceeding dark, but what was more dreadful, the galloper, a very dangerous sand, was under her lee, 
so that she was in danger of striking upon it, beyond the power of man to avoid it. Driving thus at the mercy of the waves, it pleased God that, about five o'clock, she passed over the tail of the galloper in seven fathom of water. The sea, boisterous and angry, all in a foam, was ready to swallow her up, and the ship received at that time a sea on her starboard side, which beat over all, broke and washed several half-ports, and forced in the entering port. She took in such a vast quantity of water that it kept her down upon her side, and everybody believed that she could not have risen again, had not the water been speedily let down into the hold by scuttling the decks. During this consternation, two of the lower gun deck ports were pressed open by this mighty weight of water, the most hazardous accident, next to touching the ground, that could have happened to us. But the port that had been forced open, being readily secured by the direction and command of the vice-admiral, who, though much indisposed, was upon deck all that time, prevented any farther mischief. As the ship still drove with the wind, she was not long in this shoal, where it was impossible for any ship to have lived at that time, but came into deeper water, and then she had smoother sea. However, the hurricane did not abate but rather seemed to gather strength. For words were no sooner uttered, but they were carried away by the wind, so that, although those upon deck spoke loud and close to one another, yet they could not often distinguish what was said. And when they opened their mouths, their breath was almost taken away. Part of the spirit sail, though fast furled, was blown away from the yard. A tin or boat that was lashed on her starboard side was often hove up by the strength of the wind and overset upon her gun whale. We plainly saw the wind skimming up the water as if it had been sand, carrying it up into the air, which was then so thick and gloomy that daylight which should have been comfortable to us did but make it appear more ghastly the sun by intervals peeped through the corner of a cloud but soon disappearing gave us a more melancholic prospect of the weather about eleven o'clock it dispersed the clouds and the hurricane abated with a more moderate storm which drove us over to the bank of Flanders, and thence along the coast of Holland and Friesland to the entrance of the Elbe, where the 4th of December we had almost as violent a storm as when we drove from our anchors, the wind at northwest driving us directly upon the shore. So that we must all have inevitably perished had not God mercifully favoured us about ten o'clock at night with a south-west wind, 
which gave us an opportunity to put to sea. But being afterwards driven near the coast of Norway, the ship wanting anchors and cables, our wood and candles wholly expended, no beer on board, nor anything else in lieu, every one reduced to one quart of water per day. The men who had been harassed at Belle Isle and in our Mediterranean voyage, now jaded by the continual fatigues of the storms, falling sick every day. The vice-admiral in this exigency thought it advisable to put into Gottenburg, the only port where we could hope to be supplied. We arrived there the 11th of December, and having without loss of time got anchors and cables from Copenhagen and provisions from Gottenborough, we sailed thence the 3rd of January with twelve merchant men under our convoy, all loaden with stores for Her Majesty's Navy. The 11th following, we prevented four French privateers from taking four of our store ships. At night we anchored off the long sand head, weighed again the next day, but soon came to an anchor, because it was very hazy weather. Here we rid against a violent storm, which was like to have put us to sea. But after three days very bad weather, we weighed and arrived to the buoy of the Noor, the 23rd of January, having run very great risks among the sands. For we had not only contrary winds, but also very tempestuous winds. We lost twenty-eight men by sickness, contracted by the hardships which they had endured in the bad weather, and had not Sir Stafford Fairborn, by his great care and diligence, and by that prevented her being frozen up, most part of the sailors had perished afterwards by the severity of the winter, which is intolerable cold in those parts. A list of such of Her Majesty's ships with their commander's names, as were cast away by the violent storm on Friday night, the 26th of November, 1703, the wind having been from the southwest to west-southwest, and the storm continuing from about midnight to past six in the morning. Rates. Fourth. Ships. Reserve. Number of men before the storm, 258. Guns, 54. Commanders. John Anderson. Places were lost. Yarmouth Roads. Her captain, purser, master, cry-surgeon, clerk, and sixteen men were ashore. The rest drowned. Rates, third. Ships, Northumberland. Number of men before the storm, 253. Guns, 70. Commander, James Greenway. Place where lost, Yarmouth Roads. Places where lost, Goodwin Sands. All their men lost. Rates, third. Ships, restoration. 
number of men before the storm, 386. Guns, 70. Commanders, Fleetwood Eames, places where lost Goodwin Sands, all their men lost. Rates, third. Ships, Stirling Castle. Number of men before the storm, 349. Guns, 70. Commanders, John Johnston. Places were lost, Goodwin Sands. Third Lieutenant, Chaplain. Cook, Chersurgeon's Mate. Four Marine Captains, and 62 men saved. Rates, fourth. Ships, Mary. Number of men before the storm, 273. Guns, 64. Commanders, Rear Admiral Beaumont, Edward Hobson. Places where lost, Holland. Only one man saved by swimming from wreck to wreck and getting to the Stirling Castle. The captain ashore, as also the purser. Rates, fourth. Ships, Vigo. Number of men before the storm, 212. Number of guns, 54. Commanders, Thomas Long. Places where lost, Holland. Her company, saved, except four. Rates, bomb vessel, ships, mortar. Number of men before the storm, 59. Number of guns, 12. Commander, Raymond Raymond. Places where lost, Holland. Rates, advice boat, ships, eagle. Number of men before the storm, 42. Number of guns, 10. Commanders, Nathan Bostock. Places were lost, Selsey. Their officers and men saved. Rates, third. Ships, resolution. Number of men before the storm, 211. Number of guns, 70. Commanders, Thomas Lyell. Places were lost, Pemsey. Their officers and men saved. Rates, fourth. Ships, Newcastle. Number of men before the storm, 233. Number of guns, 46. Commanders, William Carter. Places were lost, drove from Spithead, and lost upon the coast near Chester. Carpenter and 23 men saved. Rates, storeship. Ships, Canterbury. Number of men before the storm, 31. Number of guns, 8. Commanders, Thomas Blake. Places were lost, Bristol. Captain and 25 men drowned. The ship, recovered, and ordered to be sold. Rates, bomb vessel. Ships, Portsmouth. Number of men before the storm, 44. Number of guns, 4. 
commanders, George Hawes. Places were lost, nor officers and men lost. The vanguard, a second rate, was overset at Chatham, but no men lost, the ship not being fitted out. End of section 14「